Well, good evening, Rocky Peak. Great to see you. Uh, happy Memorial Day weekend for me as well. I'm looking forward to this time together as we uh, dig in the Word. So if we haven't met yet, my name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors. Um, and so as Trisha probably told you, we're going to be needing uh, inside your program is the message note sheet. I'm going to pull that out. If you're uh, joining us online, whether it's on either of our YouTube or other uh, church uh, online platform, you can kind of download that there. But uh, we're definitely going to need it today. So if you're all ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Yeah. Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. And as we, uh, as we enter into this, this incredible weekend that we celebrate, um, so many wonderful things that have happened in the life of our country, the, the sacrifices that have been made. And Lord, we just thank you for calling us to this place, your people uh, under your name, uh, to pursue you with the whole heart. And God, as we talk about storms today, those, those hard times we go through in life, where sometimes it's hard to make sense of what you're doing, we pray you give us tremendous wisdom and insight that we might follow you in just new and profound ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. And everyone here said, Amen. Well, our story starts today um, on a hot Utah day. And uh, they're traveling back from a family vacation where they've been in Yellowstone National Park. And uh, they've enjoyed that time, and now they're kind of towing their trailer, their travel trailer back home. And uh, they started to stop. They decided to stop on the way back in, in this uh, kind of barren section of Utah. Now, the reason they stopped there is because there's a, there's a huge lake there. And, um, and so there's a campground that goes with this lake. And so it's, it's a great place to stop for the night. And so after they set up camp, they level the trailer, everything's all set. It's only about mid afternoon. And so this father says to his son, uh, do you want to go out on the lake and we'll maybe kind of, kind of rid a boat and we get a little fish again? And the son agrees. And so together they walk to the marina, they rent a little rowboat, and they launch out into this huge, massive lake. And after a couple hours of fishing, and of course they don't catch anything because it's middle of the afternoon, but after a couple hours, uh, the sun is, is now beginning to go down in the distant sky. And uh, it's been a perfectly calm day, clear skies, uh, blue skies. But uh, all of a sudden, uh, a small wind begins to pick up. And it, uh, at first, there's no concern. In fact, it was actually comforting. You know, it's a, it was a hot day and it felt great. But uh, about six o'clock, that wind began to pick up speed. And, uh, and now there's white caps that are forming uh, on the top of this huge lake. And about this time, the father looks at his son and says, I think we better, we better pull in our, our lines and head for, head for shore, head back to the marina. But after that, uh, this wind is now picking up more and more speed. And these white caps are turning into small waves that are breaking against, crashing in the side of this little rowboat. And so they're beginning to row, but all they have is two oars, and the wind is blowing stronger and more and more fierce. And they're beginning to get concerned. They realize that neither one has a life preserver, and they're a long way from shore, and they're not making much speed, and the sun is beginning to go down. And without saying a word to one another, you could feel the tension rising. 
as the waves are getting larger. Well, today, we're continuing this journey that we've been in the last few months uh, in a series that's called Signs, A Path to Life. And for those of you who are brand new, whether you're joining us here in our worship center or you're out, outside on our patio or even online, uh, a welcome. Uh, this is a series about Jesus. In fact, it's an in-depth look at the life of Jesus. It's seen through the eyes of one of his kind of closest friends and followers, a man that we call the Apostle John, who at the end of his life is writing his, his story of the life and teaching of Jesus based on his firsthand experiences traveling with Jesus over a period of two to three years. And a special focus in this gospel, the gospel of John, is on seven of these supernatural signs or miracles that Jesus performs over the course of two or three years that help us to understand not only who Jesus is uh, and why he's come, but really point to us the path to life. And so if you were here last week, uh, Dre was teaching, and we looked at the fourth of seven signs, the feeding of 5,000 men and their families, like Dre pointed out, maybe 10 to 20,000 people uh, on the northeastern shores of the Sea of Galilee. And if you were here last week, uh, we, we watched this after Jesus performs his sign, it's, it's right about Passover uh, season, that this amazing sign that the people start, it starts uh, triggering memories uh, national memories of a time in their life when God freed them from uh, slavery in Egypt, from another Passover was offered. And when uh, this great leader, Moses, was raised up by God and he fed them with manna in the wilderness. And so they're, they're seeing history repeating itself. Moses had prophesied that one day God would send a great prophet who would rise up to lead them again. And they begin to put two and two together and they begin to think, this is the great king, the great Messiah that's been promised. And so, towards the end of last week, we watched as they, this crowd is, is going to try to force Jesus to be king. And this would have been disastrous. Because if, it, if they had succeeded, it would have brought down the wrath of Rome upon these people. It would have led to a huge slaughter. And of course, this is not why Jesus came. And so Jesus jumped into high gear. As we'll see today, he forced his disciples to quickly get into the boat that they'd come in and head back to the far side of the Sea of Galilee, back to their headquarters, back to the town of Capernaum on the northwest corner of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus quickly dismissed the crowds, and then he went up in the hills to pray. And so that, that's where we left the scene last week. And so if you have your Bibles, let's, like, let's see what happens next in John chapter 6. And we'll pick it up, I believe it's in verse 20. So in John chapter 6, uh, no it isn't, it's verse 16, I lied. So uh, when, uh, when evening came, and so this is right after uh, he's dismissed the crowds, as, uh, he, he, they're ready to go. His disciples went down to the lake, and we'll, we'll look at that, get more information on that later, where they got into the boat, and they set off across the lake for their home base of Capernaum. Now, it was dark. By now, it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters were growing rough. And so this is very characteristic of the Sea of Galilee. It's still that way today. I won't go into the geography around it, but because of the geography, uh, high, uh, there can be uh, kind of very uh, rapid storms that come up with very little notice. 
And so this is one of those storms. So a strong wind was blowing and the waters grew rough. And when they had rowed three or four miles, and it was only about four or five miles back from where they were to Capernaum, but they, they had rowed a long ways uh, towards this, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. Now, we need to set this up. Uh, so what we're going to learn from the other gospels, from the gospel of Matthew in just a couple of minutes, is that, so, so what had happened is Jesus had sent, sent them away, forced them to leave, uh, or kind of early evening before it was dark. And we're going to learn from the other gospels that this scene that we're about to read here is taking place somewhere between three o'clock and six o'clock in the morning, right? So they have been at this for a long time. They've been rowing against this, uh, this heavy wind for a long time. So we need to picture this. The wind is blowing. Uh, uh, you're going to have white caps on the, uh, the sea. Um, it's going to be kind of a violent type situation. It's the middle of the night. Um, and all of a sudden, they, they've been working hard for hours and hours. They're not getting anywhere. And all of a sudden, they look up, and one of the disciples in the distance sees a figure walking to them in the middle of the night, up and down waves. All right? Now, this kind of reminds you of like a horror film. And that's exactly how they're going to respond. That they're going to say the only thing that they know, that the, the only, uh, kind of the only paradigm that they would have was that this has got to be a ghost, right? So they're going to, we're going to see this in another gospel. They're going to scream out. They're scared to death. Uh, it's a ghost. And so Jesus, after he scared them to death, <laughs> now says to them, it kind of reminds me of my mother when I was young. After she scared me to death, then she'd say, oh, it's I, don't be afraid, right? So he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. So he quickly tries to calm them, right? Now, at this point, uh, we're going to need to leave the gospel of John and go to the gospel of Matthew because something's going to happen here that John is not going to include. Now, remember, John is writing at the end of his life. All the other gospels have already been written. I'm sure this story is very famous. He's, it's not part of his agenda to tell you what happens next. And so he's going to skip past it. But to follow this, we need to go to Matthew chapter 14. So keep your finger there. Uh, if you're using an app, you can just jump back. Easy. Um, so, and we're going to go to Matthew chapter 14. So when we get to Matthew 14, uh, it says, we're going to pick it up at verse 22. It says, immediately, this is right after the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus made the disciples get into a boat. Now, I want you to underline that. This is very significant. We'll come back to it later. But the word in Greek here is very strong. It's a, a, a kind of a better translation would be he compelled them or he forced them. And I want you to remember that, okay? So he, he makes them go into the boat. In other words, they don't want to go. And, uh, and they go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismisses the crowd. And then after he dismissed them, he went up on the hillside by himself to pray. And then later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because of the wind that was against it. Right? So we've got this white cap in the middle of the night situation. Now, shortly before dawn, and that's what it literally says in the Greek, is in the fourth watch of the night. So that would be between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. But from the context, it sounds it's closer to 6 a.m. Like the sun hasn't come up, it's dark, but it's getting closer to the dawn. And so, um, 
So shortly before dawn, dawn, uh, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Remember, up and down these waves because it's really, it's really crazy out there. And so when the disciples see him walking on the lake, they're terrified. I understatement. Uh, It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. It's like kind of what we would do. Uh, This is impossible. I mean, remember, no one's ever walked on water prior to this. You know, like we're so used to it. Like, of course, it's Jesus, you know. It's like, well, at this point in history, no one's ever done this before. You have no context that anyone could do this. And so they're freaking out. But Jesus, as we saw before, immediately says to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And then the oddest thing happens. They're looking in the distance. They're seeing this, what they believe is a ghost coming. And they scream, and and then Jesus says, hey, don't worry, it's me. And so Peter's like, how do we know it's really you? (laughs) Right? Like, he wants to run Jesus through a test. (laughs) Like, he could be like a demon pretending to be Jesus or something, right? So so he comes up with his test, and his test is going to be, if it's really you, command me to come to you on the water. Honestly, I think that's the lamest test. If it were me, I'd be like this. What's your mother's maiden name? I'd be like, give me the last four of your social. What city were you born in? What did you do when we were goofing off the other day? Right? But Peter, you got to love this guy. He's like, this is the first thing that comes to his mind. If it's really you, make me do what you're doing. (laughs) And I love this because Jesus, Jesus says, all right, this is awesome. Right? Jesus loves these kind of faith steps. And so Jesus, so in verse 28, he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says, come on, the water's great. And so, so Peter gets, get, got down out of the boat. Now, I want you to picture this. This boat is like a cork on the ocean. This is not easy, right? This is not an easy thing to get down on the water. So you have to you know, squat down, scoot over. Then this boat's not very big. We don't know exactly how big, but this is not like an ocean liner, you know? This is a small boat. And so he's going to get to the side. I want you to picture the wind's blowing. It's still dark. And he's like swinging his legs out over the side and putting one foot down. Yep, looks good, you know. And they're like, here I go, you know. And so here comes Peter. And so when he, he says, so Peter gets out of the boat and he walks on the water. He's taking several steps towards Jesus. And then he's like, what am I doing? This is impossible. I can't be doing this. And so when he saw the wind, well, you can't really see the wind what you see is the waves, right? You see the waves that are bathed the wind. When you, see, when you saw the wind, he was afraid. He begins to sink. He cries out, Lord, save me. And of course, Jesus right there immediately, so he's almost to Jesus. He, he reaches out his hand and he catches him. And he says, you have little faith. And I love this. Uh, in the gospel of Matthew and Mark, so Jesus uses this term, little faith. And this is interesting. This is the only place in the whole, whole Greek language that Jesus is the only one who uses this term, little faith. It's like he made it up, like a pet name. 
like it's actually made out of two words, like little or few and faith. And he just puts them together and he, like he calls his men, you're the little face, right? <laughs> and so, so he says, hey, little faith, why did you doubt? You know, like you were doing so well. And so when, he, when, they, when they climb back to the boat, so they get back to the boat, then the second kind of miracle happens, the wind dies down. Now, they'd actually seen this before. Earlier, they were in the midst of a storm. They thought they were going to die. They wake up Jesus. He was asleep on the, in the back of the boat, and he, he commanded it. So this is the second time they've seen this. Um, and then those who were in the boat worshiped him. It's like this whole sequence of events, the feeding of the 5,000, the walking on water, the calming of the storm. It's like they're, they're getting a bigger view of who Jesus is, and, and they, just, they worship, right? And they said, truly, you are the son of God. Okay, so, so that's kind of Matthew's kind of fills in the Peter piece. Let's go back to John now, right? So we're going to go back to John, and we're going to pick it up at verse 20 where we left off, where Jesus is saying, hey, it's I, don't be afraid. He skips the Peter story. It's like, I'm skipping that. You all know that story. Um, and so he says, then they were willing to take him into the boat, um, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. And so honestly, we don't really know if this was a third miracle, uh, or if it's just a matter of, hey, by the time this whole scene's getting done, the sun's starting to come up, and they realize they're really close to where their destination was. They, they couldn't see it in the dark. But uh, either way, um, so here's the interesting thing. Some scholars see this walking on water, calming storm, some see it as one of John's signs, you know, one of the seven signs. Other scholars don't think it's one of the signs. So if you, if you don't see it as one of the signs, then there would be six signs before Jesus' arrest, and the seventh sign would be his resurrection. Right? If you do see it as a sign, then this would be the, uh, the fifth sign out of seven that happened before his arrest, and then the, the, uh, the, the resurrection will be the first sign of the new creation, so to speak. Uh, I tend to see it as a sign. Uh, it's pretty impressive to me. So, uh, so I, I'm going to call it the fifth of seven signs. But what I want to do today as we uh, kind of take a look at for what for, for probably many of us is a very familiar story account in the Gospels uh, is I want to highlight three important principles about storms in our life, what to expect in storms of our life, and then come back at the end and ask a very important question. So there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called the storms, uh, storm insights. So let's talk about storms. So the first principle goes like this. Storms happen. I know, you're like, hey, I came to church, this is really good. <laughs> Glad I came, boy. This guy's profound. <laughs> so what do I mean storms happen? Well, what I mean is that sometimes in Christian circles, sometimes we, we tend to believe, in fact, in some Christian circles, it's even taught that if you walk with Jesus, if you love God, if you listen and follow, what he's telling you to do, if, you, if your faith is strong, that you will never go through storms. But what we see in the scripture is as followers of Jesus, we will go through storms. We will go through hard times in our life. And sometimes we go through storms because we're just part of a fallen world. 
Sometimes we go through storms through our own stupidity, our own rebellion, our own bad choices. I mean, how many times have you talked to someone, or maybe this is the story of your life, that our life falls apart and we rail against God, and it's really, we've just ignored everything he's told us. And so it's like, well, why am I, my life's such a mess, why isn't God rescuing me? It's like, you're in a mess because you didn't listen to what he told you to do. Right, so storms, some of these storms are of our own making. But here's what I want you to catch. Sometimes we go through storms because we are listening and following. And I think this is what we see today. You know, this is why I, I pointed out to you that when Jesus uh, sent his disciples away, that he had to force them to go. He had to compel them to go. And you say, well, why would that be? Well, stop and think with me of the scene. It's Passover time. A time when you look back on your national deliverance from slavery in Egypt, when God freed you of this amazing leader named Moses. And he freed you from slavery, and then he took you out into the wilderness, and when you ran out of food, that that God provided miraculously through him this manna for you to, to eat in the wilderness. And he promised that one day a great prophet would come like him to lead you again. And then you have all these prophecies about the great coming king. And now you're out and you're following this man who has the power to heal the sick and open the eyes of the blind. This man who is, has these supernatural abilities, this amazing teaching. And you've just watched him feed 10, 20,000 people with one kid's happy meal. And it's beginning to trigger memories, national memories. Maybe this is the new Moses. Maybe this is the new prophet. This is a great king that was going to come. And, and so you're going to force him to be your king. It's a very dangerous situation. And this is why when you put all the gospel accounts together, you watch as Jesus acts very quickly. He gets his men out of harm's way. He dismisses the crowd. He goes up to pray very likely to deal with temptation in his own life. Why did he need to get his men away? Well, chances are that they were loving this. This is exactly what they had hoped for. It's why they'd thought, we've got 5,000 men here. This is the start of a great army. This is, fine. this is what we've been working for, this kingdom of God thing. This is what we've been praying for, the Messiah. This is it. This is our campaign is finally getting traction here. And Jesus recognizes the danger, and he says, I got to get these guys out of here. And he compels them to get in the boat and leave. Now, I want you to think about this. So you're disappointed because Jesus has kicked you out, essentially, sent you to your room because you're getting too excited. And he sent you out into this ocean. And uh, now, once you're out there, all of a sudden, this storm comes up. And you're fighting, perhaps, for your lives. It's not really clear how dangerous this was. It's obviously a, kind of a very, uh, sounds like it's a dangerous situation. You've been rowing for hours, and you're like, I, I've, I've got to believe at least some of those men were saying, where's Jesus in all this? 
And why did he send us out? And where's Jesus when you need him? Just when things were going good, he sent us out here. And now we're in the midst of this storm fighting for our lives. I don't know if you've ever been out at sea in a dangerous situation. If you've ever been out like on a huge lake in a storm. But it can be scary. You know, we started the day with this story of this, uh, this family traveling from Yellowstone, stop in Utah, barren area, but this huge lake, this father and son that go out and they're caught in this, this wind that's coming up. It's getting very dangerous. This is actually a story from my own life. Uh, I believe I was in eighth grade at the time, and I don't remember all the details, because you know in eighth grade, it's like, it just all looks the same. It's ugly, long, <laughs> and when are we gonna get there, right? But, but I remember stopping in this place in Utah in the middle of nowhere, and, but there was this great lake, this beautiful lake, and, and I remember you know, my dad saying, hey, why don't we go out in this rowboat? And, uh, and so there was no life preservers. You know, this was back in the day when you don't really mind if you lose kids or not. You know, it's just like, you know, kids are, you know, kids are good, you know, but if you lose one here now and then, you know. Um, and... Um, so, you know, it's like, this was a day when you don't wear helmets for bicycles, right? That's why I got the brain concussion. That's why I got the five-point skull fracture, you know? It's, it's a day when there's no seatbelts. That's why I knocked my front tooth out. You know, it's like, um, so there was no, like, life preservers. We're out in the middle, and it's like, uh, this wind is really kicking up. And I remember, like, my dad wasn't a talker, right? So you just had to kind of sense what he was thinking. And, and I could feel the tension, right? I could feel like, like, oh, no, he's scared too. You know, that feeling. My, my dad was a pretty tough guy, and uh, we're not easily dismayed. And uh, you're like sensing the captain of the ship's not feeling so good about this. <laughs> and, and I remember that as we strained against the oars and trying to get in, and we, we finally made it in. But it was scary, and we, we didn't go back to the marina. The, we didn't get the boat back to the marina. It was like, there's no chance of us getting, we just beached it on the closest shore we could find because there's a sense we had to get out of it, you know? And if you've ever been in a situation, it's kind of a helpless feeling. When you're out on a, a lake during a storm, you're out at the sea, it's like, it's so big and you're so small. But I don't know exactly how these men were feeling. I don't know for sure how dangerous it was, but it sounds like it was pretty dangerous. And, uh, and they'd been working really long and really hard and not making any headway. And so there, I've got to believe that there, there's at some point, some of them are wondering, where the blank is Jesus? <laughs> you know? And I mean, he sent us out here. We didn't want to come. And, uh, and where is Jesus? And what I want you to catch is that sometimes we go through storms just because we live in a fallen world. Sometimes we go through storms because of our own foolishness, our own disobedience, our slowness to listen, to take counsel. But sometimes we go into storms because we were listening and following. And when this happens, it's very confusing. 
I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you, you've really prayed about switching jobs or taking a new job. And you, you've, you've really prayed about that. And, and you really feel like God's peace is on this. Or you feel like God is really speaking, confirming it to you. Maybe there's a relationship. You're really praying about whether to marry this person. And you're just really feeling uh, all signs as wise counsel and the word and the Holy Spirit. Just, this is the right thing to do. You, you really pray over buying this new house or making this move across the country or whatever it is. You have to decide whether which of these medical treatments to take and the, the stakes are high. And you really pray it through and you, you believe you've heard from God. And then all of a sudden you make that decision and life falls apart. The job goes south. You have the worst supervisor. You've jumped out of the frying pan into the fire. You've made this move across the country. You really sought the Lord, and it's just like, it's just not working out like you wanted. You married this person, and it's just, it's not what you expected to be. And those are times that can be extremely confusing. And here's what I want you to catch is that when we're listening and following and we find ourselves in a storm, it doesn't necessarily mean that you miss the instructions. Because there are things that can be learned in the storm that can't be learned any other place. And Jesus loves us enough that at times he will send us into a storm. Because it's in the storm, it's going to require a level of surrender or obedience or faith that we've never taken before. It's in the storm that he's going to reveal himself walking on the water in a way we've never seen him before. It's in the storm that we are going to surrender at a new level and be transformed. Storms happen. And they don't always mean that we haven't been listening and following Sometimes they mean that we have been listening and following. Number two, the second principle is that storms require a step. Now you say, well, what do you mean? Well, often what I found is what you, when you're in the midst of a storm, that God is going to require you to take some sort of step. It could be a step of faith. It could be a step that involves risk. It may be a step of obedience. It may be a step of surrender. It may be all the above. And it's when we take this step that the transformation or the power of God is released in our life in new ways. Now, we see that here in this situation. You know, Jesus sends his disciples into a storm, but this sets up this scene where Peter is allowed to take a step. And... I know that, and when he does, 
He's going to experience the presence and the power of God in his life in a way that he never has before. And not only is he going to experience, but everyone is going to get to experience it through him. Um, I know that when we read the account of Peter, it's often natural to focus on his failure at the end. But I've always felt that's a little unfair to Peter. Because what I like to focus on is the step of faith at the beginning. Because the reality is there were 11 other men in the boat who said, I'm glad it's you, Peter. I want to see what happens. <laughs> you go, boy. You go for this, you know. Like, well, they're probably laying bets, you know, three to one. <laughs> like, what's going to happen? Uh, and I love what Peter did. You know, sometimes when we talk about steps of faith, we just come up in our own life with this crazy step of faith and then we ask God to come through for us when God's never called us. Peter did this the right way. He felt like this was an opportunity, but what did he do? He said, Jesus, if it's really you, call. And he didn't get out of that boat until Jesus called. I think there's an important lesson there for us that, that when we take steps of faith, we need to seek the Lord. Is this the step you're calling me to take or is this just my own, my own harebrained idea? Have you ever seen that happen where believers will do something really crazy and they'll claim it's a step of faith and their life falls apart and it's like they're mad at God? They're like, well, God never asked you to take that step. That was your step, you know? So Peter, Peter handled well. Um, and once he took that step of faith, that he experienced something that no one else in the history of the world has ever experienced, Right? I mean, we still, we still say it today. Hey, next time you think you're perfect, try walking on water. You've seen the bumper stickers, right? right? We still say it today because like only two people, Jesus and Peter in all of history, are the, like how cool would that be to have that in your resume, right? I used to do a little surfing, but this would just be awesome. You know, like, what was that like, Peter? Can you imagine, like, sitting around the campfire or being in a Bible study with Peter for the rest of his life? It's got to be one of the questions you're going to ask him. Tell me, what was that like? Did it feel, like, hard? Was it, like, like smooth? Was it cold? Like, what was it like? You know, so Peter takes his step of faith when Jesus calls him, and his life is really never the same. And not only for him, but for all those in the boat, too. Because they, they got to, to see and witness the impossible through him. And here's what I want you to catch. That one of the reasons why God sends us into storms is because in the midst of the storm, he's going to ask you to take a step. And that step is going to define your growth. That step, if you take it, is going to lead to transformation. That step, if you take it, is going to lead you into a new experience of God in a very profound way. So we're going to come back to this later, and we talk about what, what would it look like to take a step, like in a storm. Well, let's move on to number three. The third, the third principle is that storms lead to worship. Now, not automatically... If we don't listen and follow, if we don't take the steps that God's calling us to take, storms can be disastrous. You know, think of the nation of Israel 
They're on the border of the promised land. God's brought them through the Red Sea. They spent a year at Mount Sinai. He says, time to move. Now it's trying to take the promised land. And, and when, they, when the spies came back, they said, no, it's too dangerous over there. We don't want to take that step. And as a result, the nation has spent 40 years in the wilderness. And when we're in the midst of a storm and God calls us to take a step, we need to take the step. If we don't take the step, then we won't, it, it won't lead to worship. It could lead to disaster. But when we take the step, it leads to our transformation. It leads to us experiencing the presence and power of God in our life in new ways. And the automatic response is worship, like true worship. Like true worship isn't just a matter of words. True worship is a matter of a heart that's experienced the presence of God. You think of David in the Psalms. You think of how many times does he share this story of being in a storm of one sort of another. And then how God rescued him in this storm and it leads to worship in his life. In fact, if you're in a, a life group, so the, this, the study this week that we write We'll look at some of those passages from David's life, some of the storms, how God met him, how it led to worship. But you see that here in Matthew's account of this event, that he says that what happened is that after the disciples saw Jesus coming to him in the storm and then getting in the boat and Peter walking on water and then, and then the storm just calming, that the end result was worship. Look what he says there. He says, and those who are in the boat worshiped him. You know what's interesting? This is the first time in the gospel of Matthew that we're told the disciples worshiped him. And I want you to think of all the things that they'd seen by chapter 14. I mean, they'd seen him open the eyes of the blind and heal the leper. And they'd seen him do amazing things. They just saw him do feed the 5,000 men and their families. They'd even seen him calm a storm earlier, like I mentioned to you. But there was something about this, there was something about this combination of feeding the 5,000, the fear of being in the storm, seeing him come on the water, walking, like, like there's a, a passage in the Old Testament in Job about how God is the one who walks on the water. Seeing him walk on the water, his encounter with Peter, getting in the boat, the storm stopping. There's something about this that opened their eyes to Jesus in a way that they had never seen him before. And their automatic response was to fall on their knees and worship him. And this is one of the reasons why God allows us to go through storms, whether they're the storms of a fallen world, the storms of our own disobedience or the storms that he sends us into is that in the midst of the storm when we take the step that he's called us to take that it leads to a life transformation it leads to a new experience of God and that leads in turn to a new relationship with God where we understand a little bit more of who he is that leads to worship and so all this leads into one important question. And there on your note sheet, you have this section, storms, the key question, 
And so here's the question I have for you. So before I give you the question, let me just acknowledge this. Some of you may not be in the midst of a storm right now. Um, And if so, cherish the days. Because one is coming. Like one thing we know about life is you either just came out of a storm or you're about to go into a storm, right? So, um, So if you're not in a storm, God bless you. Pray for the rest of us. Um, have, uh, that's take notes for the future, all right? But my hunch is most of us here are facing some sort of storm. It may be financial. It may be health. It may be relational, like marriage or kids or grandkids. It may be something you're going through in a, in a ministry you're involved with or, but there's, But probably most of us here are facing some sort of storm in our life. And so with that in mind, the question is there on your note sheet, what is your next step? If you're in the midst of the storm, what is your next step? What's your equivalent of Jesus saying, come on the water? Now you say, well, what might a next step look like? and boy, it could be all over the map because storms, is, as varied as storms are, are the steps that, that we, you know, that we, we're, we're called to take. But let me just give you a few examples to get your mind going. And I'm sure some of these examples will, will speak to some of you here or some of you online or outside. Um, but if not, they'll, they'll give you the type of thing I'm talking about, right? So, so I think uh, for, some, for some people, the storm could be in the area of their career. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I'm just wondering, you know, do anyone here hate your job? <laughs> you know, uh, anyone here, a very tough situation, very tough boss, or just a, a very toxic work environment, or it's just everything within you is screaming. You, you want to, to get out of this situation. So what might it look like to take, to, to take a step. And for all these, I'm assuming that you're seeking God in prayer, you're going before the Lord, you're getting counsel on that. But, but for some of you, that step may be it's time to leave this place. It, it's time for you to leave this job and to find a new place. It's time for you to switch careers. It's time for you to move to a different location. That, that could be a step. On the other hand, for some of you, that step could be to stay where you are. That you, you, like you want to get out of the boat. And the step is no, it's not the right time. Right now, you just need to, to trust me, put one foot in front of another. Um, this is not the right time. Uh, for others of you, it may be a relational storm. You know, maybe you're in a, a really tough marriage right now. Maybe you're, you're single and you're in a dating relationship. Maybe you're in a family relationship that's really broken down. And it's a storm in your life and the step that God is calling you to take, maybe if you're married, that tough marriage, maybe the step is to quit trying to solve this on your own. You can't do this on your own. You, you need some input. You need to, re- to reach out to some wise friends in the body of Christ that you can see their marriage. You want a marriage like theirs, and you, you need to stop trying to fix this on your own. 
You need to stop trying to, to pretend you have all the answers. You need to stop pretending the facade that you've got it all together. And you need to get out of the boat and you need to go and get some wise counsel. You need to let someone else in on what's happening in your marriage and get some wise counsel and begin to take some steps. And Jesus is calling you and it's very scary for you. You don't want to do it. For some of you may be single and you're in a dating relationship and the Lord has been telling you a long time this is not the right relationship. And yet you're, you're getting older and you're afraid. You're afraid to leave what is bad because it might be worse. And Jesus is calling you. you. You know this is wrong. You need to get out of the boat and trust me with your future. For, for some of you, it may be the opposite. You've been dating forever. And everyone's wondering, like, what's taking so long? But the reality is you have fears in your life. You have parents that went through horrible divorce. And, and the one thing you know is if I never get married, I can never be divorced. And then Jesus is calling you to trust me with your future. I'll be with you. Get out of the boat. Get down on your knee, propose to her. For some of you, it may be a relational storm you're going through and the Lord's asking you to get out of your boat and to move towards it, not to, not to sweep it under the carpet, not to pretend it's not there, but to take courage and to move towards this, to try to heal it, as scary as that is. For some of you, the storm you may have gone through is, is a church storm. Maybe you're coming to Rocky Peak out of a very difficult church situation. Or maybe you're watching online and you're coming out of a very difficult church situation and you were burned so badly. And everything within you says, I don't want to be burned again. I'll never be a part of a church again. And Jesus is calling you. It's time to get out of the boat and to get back in the game, that you're not, that this is not the way the Christian life, we're not, we're not lone rangers, right? The Christian life is not designed to be lived on our own. That it's not just about our vertical relationship with Jesus. When we come to Jesus, we not only receive a new father, we receive a new family. And you can't grow and thrive without being in community. And yes, you've been burned, and I know it's scary, but it's time to get back in the game. For some of us, the storm you're going through may be that your life is just very difficult right now. Maybe you're single and you want to be married, and it's just not happened. Maybe you're in that job and there is no way out, and God's calling you to stay. Maybe you have a health condition that is just not getting better. And you're in a very difficult situation, and you want God to just stop to speak and let the storm be over, but it's not. And, and what the step that Jesus is asking you to do is to trust me with your life and your future and to accept what I've given you right now and to surrender to my will and not your will and give up your vision for your life and receive my vision for your life as hard as it is because then and only then can I transform you 
and can you experience the presence and the power of God in your life? See, I don't know what your storm is, and I could stand up here and go on and on and on, and you know I can. Uh, <laughs> give you example after example after example, but I'm hoping this is enough to help you understand and that with this kind of focus and structure that the Holy Spirit can speak to you if you're in a storm right now. And you can be listening for his voice and saying, Lord, what I've been asking is just to take away the storm. And I want to change that. I want to ask you something different. Is there a step I need to take in the midst of this storm? Yes. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, I'm so incredibly thankful for your word. Just the beauty in the midst of a world of just so much chaos and confusion and foolishness, the beauty of your word that just speaks with such clarity and power. And Lord, we pray right now that as we're going before you, and even in the midst of this song, this, this song we've sung so many times, it calls us to get out into the water. Lord, Lord, I pray that right now, whether we're here in our worship center, we're out on the patio, we're watching online, that, Lord, that our hearts will be turned towards you asking this question, Lord, is there a step for me? And if so, what is that step? And I pray that in the this time of worship, that you would be speaking to us by name according to our storm and you'd be calling us to get out of the boat and to walk on the water to you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?